Hey everyone, Lauren here, and I'm coming to you today from surprisingly warm and sunny California uh, in the winter. I'm actually at the very beginning of a month-long trip. I'm visiting friends. I'm traveling around parts of San Diego. Currently, I'm out by Palm Springs in the desert, staying with my good friend Rebecca, who is also a bird nerd and a falconer. So you can hear in the background her little parrots are talking. There are birds of prey ringing falconry bells around. There's dogs. So if you hear animals, that's all of her babies running around in the background and talking and stuff. But yeah, I um, I'm on this trip. I'm here for two weeks, and then I'm up to Portland and starting to do some more photography stuff and get back into the groove of doing fantasy photography and launching some online classes and all of that good stuff but um you know have to keep reading have to keep interviewing authors and yeah I'm excited to bring you today's episode because it is Samantha Shannon and I am a big fan of her books I love the bone season books I've read them multiple times I've listened to them I've taken notes There's very few series that I do that with, um, but I just love the complexities of her books. She does really good romantic tension. She has really complicated backgrounds on the characters and the worlds, and there's just wonderful world building. And um, yeah, there's just so much good going on in her books. And Bone Season books uh, are like a dystopian style book, but this uh, the book we're talking about today is her new book, The Priory of the Orange Tree. It is a 840-page beautiful beast of a standalone epic fantasy. So, oh man, it is. it was a delight to read. Um, I found myself reading it a lot slower than I expected. It was I had to like savor it. Actually, by the time I interviewed her, I interviewed her a couple weeks ago, I still wasn't even done with it. And at that point, I was like, well, I don't want to rush the ending because I'm loving this book so much, I don't want to rush it. So... It was really cool to be able to talk to her about this book and what it was like for her jumping from a big series um, to writing something that's a standalone. And we dig into it today. We talk about a bunch of very cool things in today's episode. Um, it was it got me thinking though as I was editing and listening to what we were talking about. And we were talking a lot about the dragon mythologies that she examines in the book because dragons are a crucial part of the story and I mean thinking like you know dragons seem to be the one thing that people never tire of reading about it doesn't matter how many dragon books you've read before it, it they're still you're still happy to read a new one and I started thinking about like are there things that I'm tired of reading right now or like tropes or mythology that I'm kind of over and you know I don't get burnt out per se, but I sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to take a break from like vampire books right now or uh, urban fantasy right now, like themes, but dragons never seem to fall into that category. And I would love to hear from you guys if if dragons is something that you, um, like me, never get bored of, or if that's something that you find that you do actually need to take a break from. So, uh, and that there's still so many wonderfully fresh and unique ways to talk about this mythological creature that is so iconic of fantasy and, um, and all the different ways that it can be expressed. And, and Samantha does a really cool job of examining different elements of dragon mythology in this book and why she chose what she did. We talk a little bit about it and um, go in a little deeper. So yeah, it's very, very cool. So um, real quick before we go on, if you're new to the podcast, just to give you a little background, I love to read fantasy and sci-fi. And so I decided to start interviewing authors and um, book 
industry pros about these books that we love. And I wanted to get some insight into the creation of these stories and hear what the authors have to say and then kind of their journey to bringing these stories to life. And I wanted to share them with people because I know that I am not the only person out there that loves these kind of stories. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. And if you are a fan of the series or you like this episode, please subscribe, follow us on iTunes or we're on Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, There's also a link below to the weekly newsletter. I just send out a weekly reminder of the upcoming episode. It's not spammy. It's just a, hey, just so you don't miss it. So please feel free to sign up for that because I'm always getting really amazing authors talking about their sci-fi and fantasy books. So, okay, now let's go to the interview with Samantha. Hi, Samantha. Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm stoked to have you here. I am a fan of your books. I have read the Moan Season books multiple times. And when I saw that you were coming out with like standalone epic fantasy with dragons, I was like, okay, we have to, (laughs) I have to read this. (laughs) Um, And it's amazing. I have been savoring this book. I'm actually reading it a lot slower than I normally read because it's just, oh, it's so good. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to kind of talk about it today for our listeners and give kind of an overview of the book because, you know, a lot of people listening may not be familiar with you from the Bone Season, but I'm thinking a lot of people will be fans of your other books who are curious about this kind of new epic fantasy you've written. So for those of you listening, I was saying to her before we got on, I found a blog post she wrote like three or four years ago when she first got published or first got published, this book first got acquired. And it had all kinds of cool little tidbits about the the inspiration and where the book came from. And I I thought some of the stories were really neat. So I wanted to kind of touch on those um, and you maybe elaborate. I, I saw that you were saying that this was a NaNoWriMo book. It was partly a NaNoWriMo book. Um, yes, I can't remember. Did I did I write like the first 30,000 words of it or something? I can't exactly remember, but it was one of those books that I definitely did work on during NaNoWriMo. And I've always been so determined to do NaNoWriMo at least once. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's the only time I've had success in doing it. But the problem is I get so competitive. Like I had no (laughs) idea that I had this competitive streak in me. And I was kind of friends on NaNoWriMo with several other uh, writers I know. And every day I would go crazy because I was just so desperate to beat my friends. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was, I had no idea that I was this much of a competitive person. Um, But yeah, it was great fun apart from the massive pressure of, you know, one of my friends ended up writing something ridiculous, like 9,000 words in a day. Oh my gosh. I know it was absolutely just the most incredible amount of words I'd ever seen come out of a person. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, part of how Priory kind of sped along because uh, I was just trying to beat everybody else. (laughs) Do you think the quality held up because were you just like vomiting words onto the page? Or did you have to do a lot of editing of that stuff, I guess? I think it was partly word vomit, but to be honest, for for a book of this size, I really needed to just get a big chunk of words out. And that's why mm-hmm. I found it really helpful to do this for Priory because, you know, it was, it's 840 pages long and yeah. it was, you know, is it 30,000 for Nano or 50,000? It's 50, remember. yeah. 50. So 50,000 is a lot of words to get out because um, Priory is, I think it panned out at something like 260,000. So 50 mm. was a pretty big chunk of that. And it's a, it was a good, it was good to have that to work with. It's interesting too, that you were able to use this book with all of its complexities to, to do for Nano, because it's, you're right, it's very complicated. Um, you have another series that's out, part of the books are out, I think it's a seven book series, the Bone Season, yeah. right? Yeah. It is. Uh, And they're great. And so, but then to 
take this separate book and like have to outline you've got four characters versus one you've got like main voices versus the, our main character in the bone season books and you've got completely different world so it's it's great that you were able to like have enough of it <laughs> figured out to just be like oh gotta get it out you know so yeah i had a very um i had a very detailed synopsis for this book which was really helpful because i was just basically sticking to the synopsis as much as possible and i wrote out when i sold the book i kind of i sold it on a partial draft so i had to sell it based on a very detailed synopsis as well and that was really helpful to have as a guideline Oh, that's great. I guess before we dig into more questions, what is your summary of, of Priory of the Orange Tree? Like, how do you describe it? Oh, God, this is so hard. Um, it's, it's such a long book that trying to summarize it, we, we actually really struggle to write a blurb for it because there's just so much happening yeah. in this book and it's so long. And um, I was actually listening to your episode with Livia Blackburn and she said about how she phrases kind of rose marked as a series of questions, which I thought was really clever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I kind of, I don't have that. So I've got a series of statements, I guess. So it's an epic fantasy inspired by 16th and 17th century history. It's a feminist reimagining of the legend of St. George and the Dragon and a few other legends from around the world. It's an exploration of the distinct divergence in dragon mythology between East and West. Yeah. It's my attempt to write a classic style epic fantasy, but with a focus on queer and female narratives. So basically, it's trying to do quite a lot in one go, which is why it's over 800 pages long. <laughs> but it all blends together really well. And, and just those points alone, you can just flesh them out and blend them together. And, and that's where, like you said, that's why it's so long, but it works really well together. Those things all work really well together. Um, I love that you did 16th century and you have a little story about how the time period came to you with your with your brother. <laughs> Do you want to tell us that? Yeah. So um, I have a little brother called Alfie who's 12 years younger than me. And he, when I used to live at home with him, he would often ask me for help with his homework. And one night I was sitting in my office and I can't remember which book I was working on, but I was on deadline and I was having a really rough time. And Alfie came in and said, oh, can you help me with my homework? And I was like, oh, come on. Can you, can you ask me tomorrow or come back in a few hours, please? I'm struggling so much. And he said, no, 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 it's on history. You like history. <laughs> so I, I do like history. So I said, okay, what historical period is it? And he's like, the Spanish Armada. And this light bulb came on in my head because I'd had this kind of vague idea that I wanted to write a novel about dragons and sort of sort of a very rough idea of what it was going to be about. But then I couldn't figure out what was missing. And it was that I didn't have that kind of time period sort of aesthetic. So, you know, it's like, is it going to be medieval or Anglo-Saxon or what am I going for here? And mm. I was like, Spanish Armada, Elizabethan. I, I had never, I'm sure there is one out there, but I had never seen a fantasy that was inspired by the kind of Elizabethan era with that, those kind of gowns and that kind of level of weaponry. And I just got so excited by that. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of because of Alfie that it ended up being <laughs> sort of Elizabethan <laughs> fantasy. Well, that's so cool because you were able to utilize, like you said, the details of the time and blend them in with these ideas that you had. And it just makes the world so lush. And um, yeah, I, you're right. I can't off the top of my head, I can't think of any Elizabethan, uh, like inspired fantasies that are very, you know, noticeable, I guess. It's just broadly you know, European, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, kind of medieval European with peasant yeah. stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. So 
you mentioned that it's it's kind of a blend between East and West. I actually, for those of you listening, she has a playlist on Spotify that was <laughs> awesome. I was reading yesterday and I had to put it on. And um, it was really neat because you do, the music is very Western and Eastern blend. It, it was really kind of got me in the vibe for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I like how you kind of touch, I mean, I want to talk about like, a few other things like religion and and like politics and things with that. But, you know, just the dragon aspect, like East versus West dragon. Like I think very rarely have I seen um, Eastern dragons featured as prominently in fantasy. And it's, it's always the Western style that I think of. And and so it was really cool to kind of see the blend there. I mean, I guess you, you, cause you're, you're a dragon fan. (laughs) Yes, very much so. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, why did you decide to go that route when you were developing a dragon story? Why did you want to represent all of them? Well, as, as you will have noticed reading the bone season, I quite like a good categorization system. (laughs) So I had uh, all of the (laughs) of different categories of clairvoyant and divination. So I really like kind of big systems like that. And when I was thinking, when I was thinking about dragons, something that really fascinates me is this is a, a generalization. There are examples to the contrary from both sides, but generally speaking, um, in, in the East, dragons tend to be considered more lucky and benevolent, and they're strongly associated with water. Whereas in the West, they've historically been evil, they've been associated with the devil and sort of uh, wicked forces, and they are associated with fire. And this is just such an incredible kind of binary, you know, there's two such opposite things. But we still call both of these creatures dragons. And I've been completely fascinated by that. So I decided to kind of work that into the fabric of the Priory of the Orange Tree and kind of build the magic system around that. It works really well because, like you said, it it delineates between what is good and what is evil. And obviously, you know, there are no black and white lines ever totally. But but it's the idea of, like you said, there's this – the the things in the West, the creatures in the West that are seen as as the the – the destroyers of the world <laughs> um, yeah. a thousand years ago. And it's kind of, re- it's coming back up again, but yeah, you're right. And, but, but because of that, that Western way of thinking in these books and in general, I guess too, uh, there was a, like a, a divide between the world, like the East still associates with the dragons and the West is like, Nope, we can't, we, you were not interested. You're they're evil. And they're, whereas they're actually not like you're saying in the East. And that must've been really fun to kind of write the, the dichotomy between um, like from the different points of view of characters, because you have characters from both sides. Yeah, I do. And there's a lot, like you say, there's, there's religion is a very big theme in it. And yeah. I build the religions of the world of Priory around the dragons and around that divergence in the dragon mythologies, which was really fun and interesting. When you were doing the religion stuff, because I have a big note here about the religion, like when you were developing it, I was, I'm just curious how interesting it was to explore fleshing that out because you're seeing it from different sides. You're seeing people's visions trying to be changed. Like there's a big scene about halfway through the book where um, someone who has believed a certain way is told a completely different way of, of thinking and it completely fries their, they're like, I can't handle this. This is not, yeah. how dare you, how dare you, you know, whereas the person who's telling the story is like, well, actually this is what really happened and what you know is a lie. And, and, you know, but again, a whole world created on what is truth, what is lie, different glimpses of the same being in history of these religions, but we're getting different insights. I guess just talk to us about 
developing that because, I mean, it, you're right, it's really tied in with the dragons, but there's, there's just, it was such an interesting cultural divide in the book. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's It was great fun to write sort of the same, ultimately, religions that draw from a similar source. So there's two, main, two of the main narrators in Priory, both follow a religion that acknowledges that certain things happened and that certain people existed, but in different ways. Yes. I, it was very important to me that I didn't portray religion as a good or a bad thing in the books. And there was a, a range of kind of religious perspectives. So Nick Clays, who is one of the four narrators, uh, used to be from a certain religion, but now he's turned away from it and is sort of the, the the world's equivalent of an atheist, I suppose. And then you've got Loth, who's very devoted to his particular religion. Uh, you have Eid, who's also very devoted to her religion, but that religion is kind of butting heads with Loth's religion. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Tane, who is following a completely different religion that is considered blasphemy <laughs> to Eid and Loth. So it's this kind of complex web. And often religions do draw from similar sources or and have similar uh, ideas. You you referenced just a minute ago um, the four main characters, the voices we hear, and yeah. two men, two women, different perspectives in the world, different perspectives in their lives, how they're raised, all of that. And the other series, you have one person, we're in her head the whole time, and this was literally third person and four different people. What was that like creating this completely different way of narrating a story? Well, interestingly, third person is where I've always been most comfortable. And the bone season was a complete divergence from anything that I'd previously written. So when I was a teenager, I used to write in limited perspectives, third person, like in Priory. And weirdly, it was quite a surprise when Paige's voice came out of me in first person in the bone season. Um, I, I'd never, ever written that before. I didn't really immediately feel comfortable with it, but she just had this voice that was so strong and just caught cool. it, it was I, it was never she it was always I um, mm -hmm. and I think that works for that particular book because so much of it is about Paige and about sort of her personal growth it, the, the bone season series it's meant to be about not just the global impact of a dystopia but the impact of a dystopia on one woman and her particular psychology and her emotions yes so I think that works well for that series of books but then with Priory I just kind of slipped back into my old style that I was writing like that as a teenager. And I just feel that works again for this because I want I distinctly wanted to split the narrative this time. I wanted to do a big kind of epic exploration of this huge world. So that involved spreading the characters out. And that was just kind of what worked, I guess. I can't, I can't imagine having written this in first person. I think, I think that it is possible to write two first person voices and I've seen many authors do it very yeah. well. It's quite difficult to distinguish the I voice. You have to, I don't think I'm quite at that level in my writing yet where I could do that really convincingly. I mean, it, it works with the third because like you said, they're, especially with the three Western ones, because they're all sort of in the same world, even though they have different perspectives. Well, I mean, Nicholas was Western. Now he's sort of isolated. But again, that way of thinking, yeah, you're right. It, it, it obviously lets you get a broader worldview. Um mm. Of those four, did you have one that you enjoyed writing more than the others? Or was there one that was particularly difficult to, to get out? Oh, I shouldn't have favorites, but Eid is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just absolutely adored her. I think it was because I 
I loved, I love writing about courts. I just absolutely, I just, I'm so obsessed with writing about, you know, queens and courts and all the kind of the, the intrigue and the glamour that goes with that. I really, really enjoyed that. And that's where Eid's storyline primarily is. Also, Eid is the one I always kind of considered her the protagonist of the Priory of the Orange Tree, because although there's four narrators, her story is the one that is connected to the title. That's, it's the one that is most closely associated with the title. Mm. And I always envisioned her as the kind of the main character out of the four almost like they were not secondary to her but like they're they're filling in around her story yeah i mean they're all they're all very important and especially tane um she's you know really a vital part of the story but Eid for me she was strangely it was tane i came up with first she was the first of the, any of the priory characters to walk into my head but i guess Eid just has that connection to the kind of the ancient secrets of the narrative I mean, again so does Tane. I, I like I like I love both of them <laughs> <laughs> but you're also but, like you know I mean jumping characters is probably was a nice change of pace too because you're like oh I can't I can't deal with this person right now okay I'm gonna go write this person right now <laughs> yeah it was quite liberating to hop between them because they all have <laughs> different worldviews and they're all in quite different places a lot of the time which meant there was a lot of kind of diversity in the settings I was writing mm. and they all kind of have a slightly different cast of characters that sur- that surrounds them. So it was it was fantastic to be able to move between them. Did you find that you had any unique challenges in writing a standalone? Because you have a seven book series that gives you a lot of time to play. I mean, granted, it's an eight hundred page book, so it's pretty fat, but it's meant to be its own thing. So how was that? I guess plotting, creating one one book. Um, well, it just kept getting longer. <laughs> it's just the thing. And, <laughs> you know, if, if I tried to fit the bone season into one book, it would have been, you know, my publisher originally said to me, like, how many books do you want the bone season to be? And I said, well, I could either write five books that are going to be the size of my whole face or <laughs> or I could write seven books, which are of a slightly more manageable size. Um, but whereas with Pride, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And all I was doing was following the synopsis I'd written out. I'd written a full self-contained story in the synopsis and I, I, it just kept growing and I did manage to cut about 30,000 words out of it during edits but it just it just stayed really long and it's funny because I remember when I told my agent that it was going to be a standalone he just looked at me and he was like yeah sure it is Miss Seven Book Series. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm asking because it's like it's such a drastic it's not a trilogy it's not a duology you went from seven books to one. <laughs> Well when, well, when I said I wanted to write a standalone, I've always been pretty clear that I would like to write more books set in the same world as Priory because I spent all this time building mm. it and I think there are, it has a lot more tales to tell. And I really want to explore it at different time periods. And if I get an idea for a sequel, which I, I think I do have, I would certainly consider writing one. But with this series, I well, series, no, a series of standalones, I guess, I wanted to write books that were self-contained and that a reader could pick up individually. Whereas with the bone season, you know, if you pick up the song rising and that's the first book you pick up, you're probably not going to have a clue what's going on. Yeah. Whereas with Priory, I wanted to write a book where you could read it on its own, but there could also be more and you can kind of take it or leave it as you like. Wow, that actually opens up an interesting opportunity or thought possibility in my mind of like, oh, man, what other stories could you tell in this world? Because you're right, it's so elaborate and and complicated. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about adding in other elements? You have a couple elements of magic in there, but they're, the one is 
it's sort of subtle and then well i mean subtle is relative it's hidden i guess is better and then we have dragons obviously and dragons some of them can fly and um i mean why was that why were those the magics that you were kind of feeling connected to i mean because i guess dragons in and of themselves as an entity are magical but they're i guess their own character i'm thinking more of just the bits of magic we get to see that are kind of hidden away in this world and slowly work their way to the surface. Um, so the main, there's kind of two magic systems in Priory, which was fun to play with. There's kind of, yeah. there's the magic of fire and the magic of starlight. And I mean, fire, you know, fundamentally came from the Western idea of dragons. And basically it sort of connects to the orange tree in the title. Um, and this isn't really a spoiler, but basically when I went out to research the legend of George and the dragon, which was the story I knew I wanted to retell, there is a version of the legend where St. George is in the middle of fighting the dragon and he rolls under an orange tree and the orange tree protects him from the dragon's poisonous breath. Hmm. And I became kind of fascinated by this. And it seems to be that it comes from possibly from medieval bestiaries where there was this kind of mythical tree called the Perendens tree. And basically, the medieval people believed that this tree would protect, it, it attracted doves and protected them from dragons. And I think that's where the motif must come from. And I, I found three examples of stories, including that one, where a knight has a battle with a dragon and he's protected by some kind of natural resource. So I became really fascinated by this and I decided to kind of ask, you know, why would a tree protect someone from a dragon? How could that happen? And that I ended up linking that into one of the magic systems. And then the other one, I guess this was part of the me trying to create a kind of fantasy answer to the question of why the two types of dragon are so different yes. east and west. So I kind of, then I went into creating the other kind of magic, which is the magic of starlight. And that I suppose just came from, to, basically it was kind of trying to think of a, a binary opposite. So I thought about how fire is at the core of the world. So the other magic system was going to come from above the world. So starlight made sense. It's quite a romantic idea of like the magic of starlight. Even saying that is very beautiful, you know. I love stars. So it was nice to work that in. Because that's what I was kind of trying to allude to. I was like, wow, it's sort of two, but it's you only really see it more prevalent. It's more prevalent in the beginning as one, but it's both. And it, what's again is interesting is that a good chunk of our characters find it to be evil. <laughs> and uh, and again, blends in with, with religion, with, with the way the politics work. And man, there's so many like woven parts as I'm, even as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, I'm just like, man, that all connects back. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, it must've been the crazy outline. <laughs> it, it was a pretty long outline. I think it was about 40 pages by itself. <laughs> it just went on and on and on. Um, but yeah, so part of the, the magic system as well was inspired by this object called the Emerald Tablet, which is a, it's where the expression as above, so below comes mm -hmm. from. So that was, again, part of how I created the magic system was inspired by that. And there's actually an object in the book, which is called the Tablet of Rumelabar, which is kind of based on the Emerald Tablet. 
<laughs> it's just so cool. I'm I'm just sitting here because I'm I'm actually not finished with the book. I'm like three quarters of the way done here because it took me so much longer to read. I didn't want to rush it either. I was like, oh, I have to interview her, but I feel like I've got enough of a vibe of the characters here, and I'm going to be able to savor the ending now, which is really cool. Um, yeah. Just just seeing how they all kind of interacted and yeah, how the worlds and the characters kind of had to balance on each other, and and again, the different perspective was was really cool. Are you? working on anything now you said you have an idea for a sequel but are you back to bone season books um well i actually found it really beneficial to work on the two projects at the same time so i actually started writing priory because um if you follow my blog at all you'll you'll know that i had a lot of trouble writing the song rising which is the third book in the bone season series and um, while I was waiting for my editor to get back to me on that, which took a really long time, I started writing Priory. And eventually, I eventually my editor got back to me and I was kind of working on the two things at the same time. But I actually found that really helpful because I found that if I started to lose steam in one manuscript, I could jump to the other and then work on that for a little while. And then by the time I'd gone back to the one I'd come from, I felt much more energized and kind of much more excited to get back to it. So I think it just gave me a little bit of creative headspace because I, I absolutely love writing The Bone Thieves and I'm so excited to write the rest of the books. But I think that constraining myself to just one series and one world and one voice, I think that would have made... I think it actually would have caused a kind of stagnation in my career and my development as a writer, because I just wouldn't be trying new things and trying to kind of grow as a writer. So I think it's really good for both series that I have the two going on at the same time. Um, at the moment, I'm working on the edits for the fourth Bone Season book. And okay. I'm also working on a secret Priory related project. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. Okay. I actually know, um, I think specifically, I know Brandon Sanderson does that a lot where he hops between series or books. And and I think that's one of the reasons that helps him, he said, be more prolific too. It's just because yeah. again, it clears your mind and you're like, oh, this one's slogged down. Okay, I'm going to go over here now. And it gets the juices flowing again. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I could imagine too, with a seven book series, even if you love it and you have it plotted out, like you said, if you had a hard time with book three and maybe you wouldn't want you to stagnate either, like as a as the the characters and the writing to be like get stuck too much too so that makes a lot of sense that's that's really cool that you're balancing another priory related project that's very cool is there anything that you've read lately that you love are you reading it all right now um, well, I mentioned uh, listening to your episode with Livia Blackburn earlier, and I absolutely love Rosemarked. I thought it was so I just thought it, I love it when there's a fantasy that doesn't have magic in it yes. Yeah, as much as I love fantasy, something like The Winner's Curse is like that. Yes. It's just set in a secondary world. So it is absolutely high fantasy, but there's no magic system. But something about the way the author writes and conjures the landscape makes it feel magical. And I just love that. I thought it was really clever and I can't wait to read Unbetouched. Um, I just, I love, I, I have this weird thing about plague as well. Like I just love anything to do with plague, <laughs> which, which sounds ridiculous, but there's a plague in Priory as well. I just love that kind of writing about the sense of 
sort of hysteria and kind of mob mentality that surrounds, you know, plague like the Black Death. This is just, mm-hmm. it's obviously stemming from my love of history, I think. <laughs> um, so I loved reading about how she does like different takes on, you know, different groups have different theories on the plague and the different ways of treating it. So yeah, I absolutely love that. I thought it was brilliant. Um, what else have I read? I've read an amazing short novel called In the Vanisher's Palace by Aliette Did Bodard. And Mm. that is a queer reimagining of Beauty and the Beast, where the beast is a female dragon. And it's set in a a a post-apocalyptic world inspired by Vietnam. And it was just absolutely amazing. It was so surreal and dreamlike. And I kind of vaguely heard of it as a reimagining of Beauty and the Beast. But then someone told me it was queer as well. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to read this immediately. Just top of the tree. Yeah, yeah that, that's absolutely wonderful. I, it's it's a standalone, which made me a little bit sad because I wanted to read more about the dragon. But <laughs> uh, at the same time, I think it did have the perfect ending. Uh, I'll do one more. Um, I read Mirage by Samaya Dowd. Yes. And I loved that as well. It was, I always loved uh, Padme in the Star Wars prequel. She was my absolute favorite part of it. And I loved her that she had decoys. Um, and this whole book was just about being a decoy and, you know, a girl kidnapped because she looks exactly like this princess and kind of thrown into this world of having to protect this person that she really doesn't like. And again, just just fantastic. And it's a really lush Morocco inspired world. Um, well, not just a world, multiple planets. It's, I was it's say, just, but it's sci-fi too. It's sci-fi. It is sci-fi. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's like a sort of an, an empire that's taken over multiple planets and it's, it's just great. I loved it. Man, those are all really good suggestions. I've heard of the second book. I, 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 right when you said it, I was like, someone, another author told me, I can't remember who, but somebody else gave me the blurb and I was like, that sounds amazing. It's so, really I'd, I'd strongly recommend it. I'm, it's one of those books. I tend to get a little bit just shouty about books I really love. Like I'm just forcing it into people's hands. So that that's one of my shouty books. <laughs> I mean, hey, book lovers, man, they are very passionate. And I don't think anybody, <laughs> I mean, I've done that. I used to work at, did you have Borders books in England? Um, no, I don't think we did. I think that was an American thing. Okay. I know they had them in like, I think there was like one in Australia, but it was a book chain like Barnes and Noble. And I used to work there, but when they closed, I would be like at Barnes and Noble in the section and I'd hear the person like trying to tell these customers about a series. I'm like thinking like they have it all wrong. And I like basically when they walk away, I'm like, Psst, hey, what about this, 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 this? And I'm like shoving books in their hand. I'm like, I can't stop. But it's it, if you love something, you want to share that joy. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really kind of trying to promote more uh, sort of FF books at the moment, like kind of with a with a main lesbian ship, Um, because I feel like they're a little bit unknown a lot of the time. So I'm trying to kind of tell more people about them when I read them. Yeah, it's why I always like asking authors because they're on the creating end and the reading end. So you kind of get a different glimpse into books. I mean, I'm sure you still get lost and everything, but just, you know, books that you can be really taken away with, you know. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Samantha. I'm. This was great. I just, you know, I we could go into super detail, but I don't want to really spoil anything about this book for people because it's just such a delight to read. And um, I actually had a girl on Instagram was like, "Tell her I would sell my soul for an advanced copy." And I was like, <laughs> "People love this book. I mean, people like losing their minds over this book." Yeah. No- lovely to see so much support and um yeah i'm just i'm just really excited for people to finally be able to read it after all these years didn't i see that you lost all the ebooks but then got even more is that what happened 
Yeah, that, that was that was the most terrific thing. And it just shows how incredibly big hearted this community is. So basically, there was a, a human error that cancelled all of my Kindle pre-orders in the US. And it was only about three weeks before publication. Oh, that, that's a very serious thing to happen. You know, that's basically all of the sales just yeah. vanishing in one fell swoop. And incredibly, just so many authors and readers and bloggers just retweeted and started shouting about it. And I thought there was no chance in hell that I would get even half of those sales back. Actually, Mm. we ended up beating the original number of pre-orders I had just because people were just telling everyone about it. And it was just, I I actually woke up that morning after I tweeted about it and I just burst into tears because there was so much just support for me and just, and just so many people saying like, Oh, Hey, you know, give this a pre-order if you can. And just letting people know about Priory. And yeah, I just, I, I still well up a little when I think about it. I mean, that's what the book community is. I mean, and, and again, your, your first series is people love it. So the fact that you are doing Epic Fantasy, which is also its own wonderful you know, dragons and people are really into that. So the combination already, d- despite wanting to be awesome and help you, like I'm already know people were like, Oh my God, this book, I want to read this book. So yeah, that's just <laughs> amazing that it, it went above and beyond, which is really cool. So yeah, great community. So yeah, this will be going live uh, a week after the book is out. We're recording it a couple weeks before, like about eight days, I think, before it hits the shelves. And so I think yeah. you're going to be on tour and have a lot going on. And um, but yeah, thanks for talking with us about this and and you thanks know, so much for having me. touching base. And okay, guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode. We will have a new episode next week. And thanks again. And bye. Bye.